Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg ad-free and right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi everybody, Peter Greenberg here and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London. You just never know. This week we come to you from Pasadena and the Langham Huntington Hotel, a legendary hotel here. Uh, You know, I call it the Langham Huntington because everybody who's ever grown up in California knows it as the Huntington because that's where it started. At one point it was a Ritz-Carlton and now it's part of the Langham family, but they've really preserved it. When my grandfather was alive, he came to the United States in like 1902 to Los Angeles. In those days, when people traveled, they took the train. And when they were coming back to Los Angeles on the Sunset Limited, You'll never guess where they stopped, in Pasadena. And they all stayed at the Huntington. My next guest is an out-of-towner, born in New York City, but then got smart and moved to Pasadena back in 1982 to accept the position of being planning director here. Guess what? He's now the mayor. Terry Tornick, how are you, sir? Thank you. I'm great. You know, most people, and I'd say this about most people in California, do not understand Pasadena. They couldn't even point to it on the map. Americans are geographically ignorant. Um, I said it earlier in, in, my, in my other shows. I'll say it again. Los Angeles is 86 separate incorporated cities in desperate search of a community. And then you discover Pasadena um, because what you've been able to do here is preserve the history, the architecture. You've been able to preserve the culture. 
Uh, it's a slower pace unless you're on the 710 or the 210. Um, and to me, it's 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 a uh, it's a breath of fresh air. I was a correspondent for Newsweek for many many years, based in Los Angeles. And I remember like I thought I needed a passport to go to Pasadena <laughs> because I, I I didn't know where it was. This is you know this this these are the days where I had the Thomas Brothers map in the car. Remember, uh, way before we ever had G- yeah that big exactly. And then I discovered Pasadena. How did you discover Pasadena, and what what made a difference for you? Well, it's interesting. Uh, I discovered Pasadena because my wife uh, decided we should move to California. (laughs) And as luck would have it, uh, they were in the market for a planning director, and um, they hired me to, to redevelop old Pasadena. From Brooklyn, New York. Well, it was Brooklyn via Springfield, Mass. Yeah. And um, I don't hear a Brooklyn accent. Well, that's because I did radio. Uh, (laughs) But but the point then you can do the show. I got it. But the, the point is that um, she wanted to come to California. Her family had uh, migrated here. And in coming from the East and, and coming, I had the good fortune of having a number of job opportunities. But when I came to Pasadena, I felt um, just the, the ambiance that the, the kind of city it was, I knew that we'd be comfortable here and, and having our family grow up here. This, this strikes me as, as a community where you can take your time. You know, I don't feel rushed here. I don't feel the need to race anywhere. Um, and in fact, if, if my count is correct, you have 40 separate historic districts That's right. in one in one city. Yeah, we, we cherish our past. I mean, ours is not a very old past, really, in, as things go. I mean, this isn't Rome, you know, or, or someplace. But, but we really um, value things that have been around for a while, and it really contributes to the self-identity of the city. We had the 30th anniversary of the first neighborhood historic district. I wrote the ordinance for that when I was planning director. They celebrated their 30th anniversary this past week. And the point of it is not just about identifying and saving the buildings that are worthy, but to build community. And and it really creates this kind of neighborhood feeling and identity that makes all the difference. Of course, building codes don't hurt, having the strong codes, right, in terms of what you can build and what you can't knock down. Well, that's been typically true. Now the state has decided to change the rules of the game because how, uh, there's such a housing crisis in California, and so they are significantly intruding in local control and trying to change the, change the rules, and so we've got a lot of pushing and shoving going on about that. The other thing I, I love about Pasadena, your trees. 60,000 street trees. Um, not counting the parks and the private trees. Now, you see, in New York, that 60,000 street trees means 60,000 people dressed as trees. You understand that? <laughs> I'm a street tree, man. I'm a street... You mean, we're talking about 60,000 mature trees on the streets. Yeah, and we, you know, we, that's another thing we cherish. It, it has a downside. It lifts sidewalks, you know, and we get claims from limbs falling on cars. But and they're pe- big limbs. They are big. They are but, big limbs. But when people talk about Pasadena, what I hear them say... Uh, historic neighborhoods, tree-lined streets. I mean, that's it's a couplet. You know, that that's how they describe the city, and they're right. It's true. I mean, and and one of the the fun times I had many many years ago, and I didn't even know what. Okay, I admit this. I didn't know it existed. My godmother was Nanette Febre, and and they did a tribute to her where at the Playhouse. Oh, really? And I got a chance to go there. What a building! The California State Theater. Um, I mean, it's the identified California State Theater. It's 100 years old. Uh, it's another one of those sort of building blocks that, uh, that creates what Pasadena really is. When we come back, one of the things I want to talk to you about is forgetting just the playhouse. You have so many great museums here. And people don't, I mean, I knew about Norton Simon, of course, and Huntington Garden, but, but so, and then, of course, you're on the board of directors of something called the Gamble House, yes. which I want you to explain to me when we come back. Very good. But first and foremost, what's the biggest surprise? I want to, this is our big tease before we go to a break. What's the biggest surprise to people who come to Pasadena for the first time that they're not expecting? I think uh, the variety of uh, places to eat, probably. Yeah. I mean, when I first came here, you, honestly, you didn't have it. 
592 restaurants. We've been joined by the mayor, Terry Tornick, of Pasadena, formerly of Brooklyn and Massachusetts. I just have to keep throwing that in, you know. Uh, and the reason is my mother was actually a Los Angeles native. But when I first came out here, nobody was a native, right? They all they were all imports, like me, like you, but then we stayed. When we talk about some of the misconceptions about Pasadena, right? I mean, let's go back to that song, The Little Old Lady from Pasadena. Somehow I thought you might avoid that, but... Uh, too, but late. No, too late. Too late, yeah. yeah. Well, talk to me about that. Well, I, I, it's fun. I mean, the truth is, this generation doesn't know that song. Um, so we're dating ourselves, even referencing it. But uh, unless you listen to an oldie, thank you for sharing that. <laughs> un- unless you uh, unless you listen to an oldie station, we, you know we don't hear that anymore. But uh, Pasadena has now developed a certain uh, hip factor. Um, we are very attractive to millennials uh, because we've built a lot of new multifamily housing. We have all these restaurants and bars. There's entertainment. And most importantly, maybe, we have a immediate access to, this, to the San Gabriel Mountains. So they can be mountain biking in 15 minutes. And, uh, and of course, we have the Gold Line. We have a, a light, light rail, rail. Yeah. link to downtown so they can work downtown and live in Pasadena. So we, we check all the boxes for millennials. And that means that they attract, because they're here, employers want to be here because they need to, to be in a place where they can have young, educated employees. You, know, you mentioned downtown. When I first came to Los Angeles in 1971, the only time I went downtown was to get my police pass, my police press pass renewed. You didn't go downtown to L.A. It was like going into another, I mean, another atmosphere, another galaxy. Pasadena downtown when I first came here was a ghost town, but now it's coming back. Well, it's, it's been back, and, and um, this is a vibrant place, and it continues to evolve. Frankly, one of the great tensions we have in town is that there are those that feel that we're developing too fast, too much, and we're going to lose the essence of, of what it is that people love about the place. And? Do they have a point? Oh, there's a point, but I, but I think the reality is we've, because of these 41 historic districts that you referenced, we've made a deal to protect the neighborhoods. Those neighborhoods won't look any different 25 years from now than they do today. Uh, but the fact that we're going to have new development on Colorado Boulevard and, and the arterial streets shouldn't be a threat to that. And light rail takes a lot of the, the pressure off the surface streets. Not yet, but it will. <laughs> <laughs> An honest answer. I love it. My favorite thing to do at the Rose Bowl is not to go to a football game. I still go to the flea market. That's wild. It's a big deal. And it really is. It's, it's once, is it the second Sunday or the yeah. first? Second once Sunday. a month. Yeah. yeah. You got to go. I mean, and then, then the problem is I'm always greeted with three words after I come back. Ready? You bought that? <laughs> no, the funny part about the, the flea market is you have to pay for the privilege of getting in super early before the sun comes up. And you got to get in early, super early because that's when the best deals are. Right. Actually, it's not the best deals. It's the best stuff. The best merchandise. Yeah. That's right. What'd you buy there? I never buy stuff. My, my, <laughs> wife, won't, my wife won't let me buy anything. I mean, I bought serious, I mean, I'm, ta- I'm talking huge furniture and, <laughs> and like, I have no, cl- I'm not allowed to do that anymore. Yeah, well, that's no. it. That's so the rule. Those that's days, the house rule. Now we're giving stuff away. <laughs> you spend half your life accumulating stuff and the rest of your stu- life you know, just trying to give it away. However, I will still go because it, you can't believe what they sell there. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a phenomenon. And, and uh, when I came to Pasadena for my job interview um, in 1981, that was the first thing I saw. I went to the flea market. I didn't even know it was there. I asked the cop, you know, what's going on here? And he and he looked at me and said, this is the flea market. I said, what's a flea market? Um, and there it was. So I, that was my introduction to the Rose Bowl and the, and the flea market in 1981. And, and by the way, it's not inside the Rose Bowl. It's around the Rose That's right. Bowl. That's exactly right. Right? But they'll sell everything there from, like, you know, old Texaco gas signs to uh, serious stuff. Well, tchotchkes. I mean, there's a lot of tchotchkes. Oh, yeah. yeah. We're not allowed to. I got it. I got it. I got it. But it's a tradition. Yeah, it is. It's, it's another one of those ongoing traditions. And, of course, the Rose Bowl itself is a big part of the brand for Pasadena. I sure. mean, the, the fact that uh, that's been around for 100 years is not a small thing. Well, the last time I went to the Rose Bowl was not too long ago. I went for the Rolling Stones. Yeah, me too. 
Did you go? Yeah, of course. <laughs> okay. One of the perks of being mayor. No, no. One of the perks of being mayor and one of the perks of me going was that we were actually younger than the Rolling Stones. <laughs> one of the few people in the bubble. <laughs> it was an old crowd. Well, but when they put up that big picture of Keith Richards, I mean, it's pretty scary. He's I mean, still alive. Uh, but he can really play. He really can play. <laughs> and Mick Jagger, you know, after having his medical issues, just did two and a half hours. It was no, unbelievable. It was, it was a phenomenal show. Everybody loved that show. I know. And, and the thing was, as I was walking in the lines to get in, and then certainly in the lines to get out, uh, everybody was saying the same thing. You know what? This is probably the last time we're going to see him. Yeah. Well, I hope that's I, not true. I know. But you weren't the guy on the third row with a candle, were you? No. Okay. I'm just double checking. I just... <laughs> that was my brother. <laughs> Before we run out of time, museums. I mean, the Huntington, great, right? Any surprising museums? Well, we've got the Pasadena Museum of History, um, and something that's sort of in the museum category is the Gamble House. Gamble House is a phenomenal, it's the epicenter of the craftsmen, the arts and crafts movement internationally, and it's something that we're really proud of in Pasadena. Toto, I'm repeating we're not in Kansas anymore. hour we were talking to the mayor who uh, didn't hesitate to tell me there were 592 restaurants in Pasadena so who better to elaborate on that than our next guest he's the food writer and columnist for Arroyo magazine Coast magazine Friar McAllister how are you sir very well Pleasure to be here. As I said to the mayor in, in, in the segment we did, when I first came to Pasadena, the food was basically prime rib and deep fried. Uh, things have obviously changed. Quite a lot. Um, but it also reflects the, um, the wave of interest in food and restaurants uh, and dining in Los Angeles at large. And we're in a, a very unique moment, in my opinion, in Los Angeles, where the greater metropolitan area of Los Angeles in my opinion, is the most interesting and vibrant food scene right now in the world. And I'm happy to defend that to anybody who wants to challenge I'll give you. I'll give you the challenge right now. Okay, your challenge. Go. Well, I could go on and on, but what it's... No, it, you we, can't. This we, is only eight minutes. <laughs> <laughs> we get, we, exactly. We, we, um, it's, it's reflected in Pasadena uh, in a number of uh, different establishments, I would say. Um, there is, and uh, Mayor Tornick, I want to say, uh, alluded to this uh, as we were chatting, is that there's quite a lot of churn in in Pasadena in the restaurant scene, and uh, uh, the uh, it, it's a it's a you know very narrow margin business. Rents tend to be high, particularly in in Old Town, where again T uh, Mayor Tornick as a planner uh, uh, did a brilliant job in terms of redeveloping that that part of town. Um, in my own opinion. Um, the scene in Pasadena right now is the, the it's less about the restaurants for me than it is about the local food culture, actually. And there there's a uh, there's a very we're at a very interesting geographical and demographic nexus here in Pasadena, where we have the collision of huge ethnic communities between the the historical Chicano Latinx community, the the Chinese community in the San Gabriel Valley, and they're all coming together essentially in Pasadena. And what that affords us is not just a hugely diverse range of restaurants to choose from, but also... Uh, Sweet and sour tacos. Uh, we haven't gotten that far. Actually, I can... <laughs> more on that later. Uh, uh, but there, there's a wide variety of, of ethnic markets um, to choose from for, for home cooks that are interested in pursuing that. 
and um, <clears throat> it's a it's a, an amazingly diverse community, actually, and that's what people don't understand about well, Pasadena. Speaking of tacos and neighborhoods, explain the Northwest Pasadena taco. I am so glad you asked me. This is a project of my own um, that I started about nearly three years ago. Uh, it's called the Northwest Pasadena Taco Survey, where I took a one-square-mile segment of town where basically my house is right in the center of this district that I that I delineated, and I took it upon myself to find uh, how many different places I could find a taco in my neighborhood. So at the moment, the number stands at 30, and this is in the one-square-mile area of Pasadena. You're kidding. In northwest Pasadena specifically. I am not kidding. That is wild. Now, mind you, I, I include 7-Eleven and and Carl's Jr., for instance, but half of them, I'm going to say, are not listed on Yelp. Most of them, a good portion of them, are in the back of little carniceries and grocery stores. Um, you just got to know. You got you to gotta find them, you know, and I did. Um, so that, that will publish later this year. Um, it was an exhaustive study, and it ultimately will wind up in a blog space where I can continue to update it because it's quite a, I call it a furtive and dynamic uh, I want you to scene. know that in the history of the show, I've never heard the words exhaustive taco survey study. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first. I d- absolutely how. heard it here first. There you go. But you know, this all lends to something called the urban forager. Well, again, and I was going to say, there, there are two, uh, two folks that I, that I really want to um, credit. Um, the, there's a local um, writer and community organizer named Melissa Kawa who's just come out with a book called The Urban Forager, Culinary Exploring and Cooking um, on LAZ side. And she, she uh, lives in Altadena. Um, she, the book is unique. Not far from here. Not far, just, just north. Uh, it's all... It's all in the family. It's a Dina. It's all exactly. It's, a it's one Dina. of the Dinas. It's one of the Dinas. Yeah. It's one of the Dinas. Yeah. Um, in any case, it's a very unique book in that it, it is um, both a cookbook. She also profiles five different local chefs, and, and in the back, she actually has a list of capsule uh, reviews of um, I want to say fifty-five different purveyors of uh, groceries and cooking supplies and stuff like that, that that can be found right in the area. So I know this is a tough question for you, but. What's the most surprising trend or the most surprising restaurant in town these days? Okay. For me and for my money, and I, I, I profiled this as part of my article in February for Arroyo that was talking about unusual dining experiences. There's a local, um, very well-established and respected chef uh, named O'Neill Chibas. He's a Cuban-American who, uh, Cordon Bleu trained, had a, a restaurant here called Elements. Uh, that closed about five years ago. He went back into catering and just reopened or opened at, uh, a, an establishment on Washington Boulevard called Deluxe 1717. It's a private kitchen, private dining room where he's now doing, um, <coughs> excuse me, uh, two to three day uh, tasting menus um, of his own device. But most recently, and this comes back to Alyssa's book, he started a resident chef series and that he just launched this past weekend. Uh, where he featured the chef Masako uh, Yatanabe, um, I'm, I'm probably mispronouncing that, uh, who is a partner in, uh, was an original partner with Sumi Chang at Europane, which is a, an excellent um, high-end bakery uh, here. And she did a 10-course um, Japanese um, menu, which I enjoyed on Sunday. And he's going to continue with that Resident Chef series um, ongoing, and I, I, I really recommend that very highly. So what you're basically telling me is you're eating pretty well. I, I No problem here, yeah. <laughs> but what's the biggest surprise, very quickly, in terms of, a, of an ethnic location in Pasadena that people are not going to expect? An ethnic location that people aren't going to expect. 
Um, well, for one thing, they're I mean, I'm, I'm still recovering from 30 different taco choices. You know. I understand. Um, well, again, right in the neighborhood, and I included in the, in the taco survey, we've had um, a Viarta supermarket open in an old Vons on Orange Grove in Fair Oaks. That is, this is a, a, a local Latinx chain um, in Los Angeles. It's the first outpost on the east side. And the story is, is that the, uh, that the uh, it's a family-owned operation, and the scion of the business was given 10 million dollars and has opened up basically a Latinx Whole Foods. And they make their own tortillas. They make their own tortillas. They've got a juice bar. They've got a ceviche bar. They've got hot food. It's an incredible store. um, And the tacos are good, too. Friar McAllister, the contributing columnist and food writer for Royal Magazine and Coast Magazine, and of course the author of the North Pasadena Taco Challenge survey. Exhaustive. If you are continuing on to another Southwest destination, please make sure that you check the monitors inside the terminal for your proper gate and flight information. If you are continuing on with another airline, we really don't care. I am a passenger. My next guest, the managing editor of Pasadena Magazine, Sarah Smola. How are you? I'm doing well. I mean, I love regional and local magazines. Well, I, lo- I love half of them. Uh, the half that I don't like are the ones, you know, advertising for plastic surgery and and uh, cosmetic dentistry. And okay, but if you really want to learn the flavor of a location, you got to read the local magazines. And yours is one of the better ones uh, because you're really dealing with the culture. Well, thank you. Yes, I actually oversee the arts and culture section, and Pasadena is one of the richest uh, cultural cities in, I would say, America. And why don't you make that argument for me? Tell me. <laughs> Um, Well, first of all, we have the Norton Simon, which has one of the largest um, private art collections ever assembled. Uh, Industrialist Norton Simon collected for over a period of years, and it actually has one of the second largest uh, collections of Degas. Who knew? Right. I saw a beautiful Degas exhibit in, uh, in Denver. Oh. At, at the Denver Museum, and, and, and it's just eye-opening for me. But um, but this is a permanent exhibit. Yes, and he actually has over a hundred works by Degas. It's um, there's paintings, pastels, drawings, prints, um, is, and there's also Little Dancer. And of course, there's also uh, many other arts. Um, there's um, Renaissance art. There's 20th century art. There's European art. Just a vast uh, display of art. Um, however, that's not the only museum. We also have the USC Asia Pacific Museum as well. Now that's a relatively new museum. Yes, yes. Um, the U- USC bought them, and so they've been kind of revitalizing them, and it's it's been great. See, my favorite, and I've talked about this earlier in the show, uh, is the Pasadena Playhouse. Yes, yes. They actually recently celebrated their 100-year anniversary in 2017. And when you, and when you go in there, you got to look around. It's, it's a beautiful building. It is a beautiful building, and it's so rich in culture as well. Um, it was the home to the world premieres of playwrights such as Eugene O'Neill, Tennessee Williams. It was also one of the first venues to feature female playwrights as well. Um, and in those early years, that wasn't always uh, a reality for many. So, and, and to this day, you're breaking a lot of shows there. Yes, yes. Um, it's, it's just breaking boundaries overall. Um, there's new premieres that have never been performed. Uh, Danny Feldman recently took over as the producing artistic director, and he, one of his core missions is he's determined to make it a place of inclusion and a celebration of diversity, which is really reflected in both the subject matter and both in terms of performance, as well as the casting decisions. Now, getting beyond the, the Playhouse, you know, I remember going to Orlando a couple of years ago and saying, hey, we want to show you Old Town. I said, what could be possibly Old Town in Orlando? How, how far back do you go? And they went like 1959. I said, stop. But Old Town Pasadena is old. 
It is. It is. Um, you know, there was a period in time where you didn't necessarily want to be in Old Town after uh, the sun went down. However, um, a few decades ago, they did revitalize it. And now it is the it is one of the places to be in Pasadena. There's great shopping, great restaurants. Um, it's just great to walk around. All right. Just for, for giggles, where are you going to take me for dinner? Well, that depends. In Old Town. In Old Town. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I'm more of a breakfast person. I, I'm a mom of See, a toddler. I do not do after 6 p.m. <laughs> All right. Where are we going for breakfast, Mom? You know what? I In Old Town, I like a little place called Roots and Rye. They're um, relatively new. They specialize in uh, do-it-yourself acai bowls and toasts. It's very healthy. Um, however, if you want to venture a little bit north of Pasadena, there's lavender and honey. Um, north Pasadena is a little bit more of a gentrifying area. Very Now, you've hipster. given me two locations that sound a little precious. Are they? Uh, Come on. You know what? I can drag my husband there, and even he likes them. He, really? Yes, yes. He he will he will eat the he's the one who actually will insist. He's, he he was a little hesitant, but he said, "Oh, you know what? I really like this avocado toast." Well, you know, but now everybody and their mother is serving avocado they toast. They are, they are. However, and, and acai bowls. However, they let you customize your toast. You don't necessarily need an avocado on it, or maybe you put uh, sunflower seeds on it, nut butter on it. How um, about I'll have the avocado toast, hold the avocado. You can do that too. <laughs> they will do that. You can just put some nut butter on it. Um, their acai bowl does have a, you can do activated charcoal, you can do chia pudding. It's unlimited toppings for one flat fee, depending on your size. And uh, luckily for me. You're uh, tiny. <laughs> Um, That's a compliment. Thank you. Okay, thank good. you. But the bottom line is, you have choice now that you didn't have before. Yes, yes, and it's so it's it's so delicious. It's fresh. It's attainable. Um, the owner really wanted to make it inclusive. He wanted healthy eating to be accessible, no matter what your budget is. Um, it's really affordable as well, but also really fresh. Well, bottom line is, you're raising a kid now. Yes. You made a choice to stay in Pasadena, and you like it. I love it. I love it. Riding along in my automobile. My baby beside me at the wheel Cruising and playing the radio With no particular place to go Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. And it's what surrounds this hotel in terms of not just who stayed here, but where you can go from here. I love the idea of hotel as enabler and where you are in Pasadena, where this hotel is, it enables you to see the history, the architecture, and the culture. And uh, and they have valet parking. Okay, I, I, that's it. They have valet parking. Uh, but bottom line is, when you look at television and you look at your movies, at least every once in a while, you're going to see a beautiful location that you think is somewhere else. And guess where it was shot? Right here. at the. At, I call it the Huntington because that's how I always knew the Huntington. At one point, it was a Ritz-Carlton, and now it's a Langham. But it's always the Huntington. And uh, anybody coming to Pasadena, whether you're coming for the Rose Bowl or any other of the museums that are here, you got to check this place out. Earlier in the show, in fact, throughout the show, I've been talking about, you know, what we talk about every week, about volunteer vacations, about volunteering when you go on a trip, about how you can get involved. And I've been yelling about 
Pasadena Heritage because they were started about 42 years ago by a group of very concerned citizens who were worried about not just overdevelopment, but about preserving the history and the heritage here. And uh, luckily, they went from about 200 members to 2,000 members. And over 42 years, they've managed to do just that. Joining me now, she's the big cheese. She's the ex- <laughs> Did you like that? I did. You did. Uh, the big cheese and the executive director of the Pasadena Heritage is Sue Mossman. How are you? I'm fine. I have a little laryngitis this morning. I'm sorry, but hopefully you, you know what can happen- all hear You know me. what happens when you have laryngitis? People listen more. Oh, good. It's okay. Okay. If, even if you wanted to whisper this segment, people will listen, I promise you. <laughs> but, you know, when I first came to California, back in 1971, I was sent out here as a correspondent for Newsweek. That's when I first discovered Pasadena. And as I said earlier in the show, I I thought I needed a passport to come then because it was a brave new world, or I should say it was a brave old world. I was told, oh, this is where the old money was, right? Um, And they were right. This is, Pasadena really was the old, and San Marino too. And and for me, uh, it was eye-opening in terms of the architecture. It was eye-opening in terms of the design. And it was eye-opening in terms of the pace. Pasadena never uh, struck me as intense. It, It struck me as... Uh, very, you know, very polite, very well-mannered, um, and a community. And it still is. But let's go back 42 years when they started it, when you started Pasadena Heritage. I mean, what was the problem then? I mean, you, you, were, you were facing some serious problems. Well, I think like much of Southern California, there was a whole attitude about reinventing our communities, being up-to-date, being trendy. And the city of Pasadena having been through some economic doldrums, was eager to sort of get on a new train to the future. We had a redevelopment agency eager to tear down much of our original downtown, change our civic center, erode our neighborhoods. And it really was community people who thought that would change Pasadena forever and not for the better. So we stood up and said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Can't we find a path to a successful economic future that's built on preserving history, not wiping it out? Well, and you raised, the, of course, the double-edged sword question that I'm sure you were asked at that moment. Fine, but who's going to pay for it? That's absolutely true. And the city, after some pretty persuasive engagement, decided to get on board with this plan and really became the partners in rebuilding the community on the basis of its history. And rebuild, well, you did more than rebuild, you, you preserved. Yes. Rebuild is the wrong choice of word there. Build on, build on its history to create its economic future, and it's been successful. And of course, to champion all that, you had to make the case for every location and every building and every street to justify why it had to stay the same. We did, and actually that was the easy part once we got people out to look at the incredible architecture that we have, walk through our beautiful neighborhoods with gorgeous homes and modest homes but of great design, and Pasadena is a very green community. Once they looked at it and saw it and walked through it, they began to get it. And of course... You had to come up with some different codes and ordinances to make sure that nobody could get around them. And actually, I think Pasadena was one of the first California communities to adopt an ordinance, and that was in the late 70s, right about the same time Pasadena Heritage, which is a private nonprofit, was founded. The city took the step of codifying 
some preservation. And tell me this, when somebody comes to Pasadena as a visitor, Sue, how can they get involved in what you do so they get a better appreciation of, of everything that you've done? Well, first of all, they could join us on one of our many tours and activities, lectures, workshops. We do something different almost every weekend. They can also visit some of the historic treasures that we have either on their own or through a tour at the Gamble House, for example, or the Huntington Library and Gardens. Yeah, we talked about the Gamble House with the mayor earlier. He's he's on the board. He loves that place. Yes, it's a real unique Pasadena treasure. Speaking of treasures and not mentioning just the Gamble House, what would be the biggest surprise for your visitors, friends of yours who come in, about the architecture and design here in Pasadena? What, What are they not expecting? I think we've gained a reputation as being a hub for the craftsman era when the Gamble House was one of the premier examples. But we have amazing architecture starting from Victorian through craftsmen, through all the revival styles, and even into the modern movement, which is so popular today. And I can go visit them. Yes, you well. You can visit examples of almost all of those, and you can certainly walk by them and enjoy them. And I could also volunteer. You could volunteer, and we'd love to have you. That's the cheapest way of getting into these places, is you volunteer. (laughs) Although you have to strategically plan your trip so that you can volunteer with us when we get access. These are private homes, private buildings, and we have to ask permission. And, of course, the best way to find that out, here's the the total segue to your website. It's PasadenaHeritage.org. Exactly. Sue Mossman, basically the big cheese at Pasadena Heritage. I hope your throat gets better. Thank you so much. And I I encourage you, when you come to Pasadena, if you're going to stay at the Langham here, just walk outside. Nobody walks, but do it anyway. Hello and welcome to Alaska Flight 438. We'd like to tell you now about some important safety features of this aircraft. The most important safety feature we have aboard this plane is the flight attendants. Please look at one now. I've been coming to California since 1971 when I was sent out here by Newsweek, and I discovered this hotel because I came out to do a story on a television show one day, and they were shooting it here, or they were doing a movie here. It's been This hotel has been used for so many different sets and reasons since movies got started, going back to the 30s, and joining me now, uh, Jared Cowan, who actually developed the, the Langham Film Tour and uh, high tea, I suppose, for the hotel. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And actually, filming goes back even to the silent days. Here at the hotel. D.W. Griffiths was around? Uh, well, I don't think, I'm not sure if he was actually here, yeah. but there were some silent pictures shot here at the hotel. Wow. Yeah. And right now the hotel is probably hoping for more silent pictures. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> right. But give me an idea of what was shot here. Well, I mean, if you're talking about silent pictures, there's actually a movie, there's a lost film called The Sleepwalker, which they don't even have at the UCLA Film Archives, completely lost. But I found one picture of the cast and crew celebrating the director's birthday, sitting around a table <laughs> somewhere here on the grounds. Um, but yes, like you said, a lot of television, certainly through the 70s and 80s, like uh, Simon and Simon. That oh, that, was, oh God, that CBS, here, that know? was CBS, yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, lots of, lots of different great things. And what got you into this? 
Well, I've loved filming locations since I was a kid. Um, I always tell people on the tours that I do that it's kind of like for me visiting a character from the movie anytime I want or um, like visiting an old friend. So I've just... I've just always gravitated to it. I love thinking about the people who've been there, thinking about this director over here setting up the shot, and I, I just love that aspect of filming. Now, one of the show, the movies that was shot here was Saving Mr. Banks. That's right. That's a big highlight here. That's for sure. Yes. Um, and in the film, because it's well documented that P.L. Travers, who wrote Mary Poppins, actually stayed at the Beverly Hills Hotel um, when Disney brought her here to try to convince her to give him the rights to make the film. Um, but the, the filmmakers did not go there to shoot because filming at the Beverly Hills Hotel is just near impossible, near impossible. Um, and filming here at the Langham is, is, is a lot easier. The, the, the people here at the hotel really understand how to do it. Well, this hotel has been used essentially to double Beverly Hills. That's right. That's right. Yes. And, and not just the Langham, but also Pasadena in general doubles Beverly Hills often. So the biggest surprise of a movie that was shot either here at the hotel or around Pasadena that people don't get until you tell them? That's a good question. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think. Well, I mean, there's the, there really are so many. Uh, I mean, I think a big thing in Pasadena is probably Pulp Fiction that people are really amazed about when we go by some of those those places they used. That's a big – because, you know, anything Tarantino is very popular with. <laughs> Uh, he used alleys for that. That's right. He used uh, Kendall Alley and the exterior of the Raymond Theater. And Swing Shift. Swing Shift here at the hotel. That's right, at the Langham Hotel. That's really cool because they used it. They used the Viennese Ballroom for a 1944 New Year's Eve party. And a lot of people tend to think that, you know, Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell met later on Overboard. That was, Swing Shift is actually four, three years earlier. And directed by Jonathan Demme, who later did The Silence of the Lambs in Philadelphia. So that's what I love about it. You think about those people who've been here. Exactly. Now, where are you from? I'm originally from outside of Philadelphia, from Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Ah, home of the mob. <laughs> Come <laughs> yeah, on. Come on. There, there were some of the, uh, the clubs there, I guess, that, 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 that they hung out Hey, at. come on. The Sopranos with Cherry Hill, New Jersey, buddy. <laughs> I mean, that was in the, in, the, in the record days. When I say record days, I'm talking about the music industry days of Paola and 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 the, that was organized crime in the music industry. That was Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Right. Of course, a lot of people don't know Cherry Hill from the mall. That's yeah. the big thing. Yeah. <laughs> and what brought you out here? You know, film, the, the, the film industry. Went to school for it and uh, came out here to pursue that and then just kind of got more into this location thing, you know. And I don't, real, I don't work in locations. It's just a passion of mine that I've developed into these tours and writing and just love it. And the tour starts on the hotel. Yeah, well, the, we have one specific tour that is just a walking tour of the Langham Huntington Hotel. So that's a 90-minute tour. We go through all the ballrooms, some of the guest rooms sometimes, outside, inside. Um, and it ends with a great uh, afternoon tea, which is really wonderful. Um, and the very first, we also do a Pasadena film tour, which is a bus tour. And the very first time we did that, we left from the hotel here. Yes. And you're going to see about 40 different locations. On the bus tour, yeah, you see a lot. You see between 30 and 40 locations. Yeah, it's wow. a lot. And the bus has, you know, TV monitors, so we're showing images from the films. Same thing here at the hotel. I'm walking around with my iPad, showing images from all kinds of films and television shows. And, you know, look, at the end of the day, it's all about storytelling, and this, and this hotel has a pretty big story to tell. Big story to tell, and uh, that was one of the things I loved about developing the tour here at the Langham Huntington is that I really got to learn about the history of the hotel itself. So there's a 
there be a rapid change in cabin pressure, oxygen masks will automatically drop from the compartment above your seat, free of charge. And to start the flow of oxygen, pay your flight attendant $75.63. If you hear me say the word Langham Huntington, there's a reason for it, because it was always the Huntington, going back to day one. And the reason why I know that uh, has something to do with my own family. My mother was a Los Angeles native, not not with us anymore, but was born in 1915. And my grandfather came here in 1901 as a Russian immigrant and was put in a, uh, a tuberculosis sanitarium until sanatorium until he could until he could recover. He then became the star reporter for William Randolph Hearst on the old L.A. Examiner, and he always took the train. And if you took the train to California, then you knew the Huntington, because that's where the train came in. And it was, it was the stop for people coming to the West Coast. They stopped here. It wasn't a railroad hotel, but it was the hotel where you wanted to be when you came off the train. And after my mom passed away, I came across so many of, of the papers of my grandfather that she, that she kept. And in those papers were all the Western Union telegrams he would send to her saying, I'm on the Sunset Limited, and we're going to end up at the Huntington tonight. And, and he would lift the time. And then the days where you communicate by telegram. Well, we've come a long way since then, but the hotel has retained all of its charm. And joining me now is the managing director, Paula Clerk. How are you, sir? Hi, Peter. How are you? Did you like that story? I love that story. It's true. I mean, I was like, oh my God, you know, I'll be on the 805 coming in. At the, in those days, actually, when the trains ran on time, by the way. Uh-huh. Now, trains aren't really stopping in Pasadena that much anymore. Other than the subway. Other than the subway. <laughs> well, we're not talking about that. They're just going to Union Station. Exactly. But the point is, this hotel remains a legend in the community because if you want to go to the Rose Bowl, you're coming here. If you want to, if you look, I don't even want to know what your business is like on New Year's night, because <laughs> because everybody's here for the parade, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. And they're booking years in advance. They're going to bed early though. They have to get up at 4 a.m. Is that true? Uh huh. <laughs> yeah, you have to be there by six, otherwise you don't get in. True. Absolutely. Okay, a reason why I will not be staying with you. <laughs> <laughs> on New Year's Eve this year. But the point is, this is still a hub. Absolutely. Yeah, it, uh, we, we are great partners of the Tournament of Roses, <clears throat> the Rose Bowl, as well as the city. <clears throat> pardon me. <clears throat> I'm sorry. Uh, we, do a, we do an event every year where we honor uh, all of the past uh, Grand Marshals and, and, of course, the one upcoming. And, well, the uh, one upcoming, you have three. Right. Exactly. That's true. Right. That hasn't happened since the astronauts. <laughs> I did not know that. That was the Apollo 12 mission. Those guys were, the, were your grand marshals. Not Apollo 11, but 12. Okay, good yeah. to know. See, aren't you glad I stopped by? Absolutely. Yeah. You probably so, know more about this hotel than I do. Well, no, I don't, but I've stayed here a lot. Um, there's, because so many times you come out here to interview, uh, when the television critics have their meetings, they take over your hotel. Absolutely. And, and that's where all, all the stars are here. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's not, it's not Beverly Hills time. It's Pasadena. Absolutely. And plus, we, plus we, you got all the old money here. We do. Absolutely. And we welcome the TCA back in January again in 2020. By the way, when you walk out of the front driveway of this hotel, which, by the way, nobody walks. Okay, let's talk. Let's call it what it is. But it, my mother, by the way, came to visit me many, many years ago because I live in L.A., and she wanted to come see the Huntington. And I had a business meeting here. So I said to her, you know, t take a walk around. I'll be back. You know, I'll see you in about an hour. Next thing you know, she she gets arrested for walking. 
they couldn't understand what she was doing walking in Pasadena. And when I find, when I went to find her, she was actually lecturing the police about, now there used to be an orange tree over there. Oh and, and, and of course they let her go, but they just didn't understand why is she walking because this is her old playing ground oh with, with her father. And it's yeah. such a beautiful neighborhood to walk in. I, I can't imagine why anybody wouldn't. You know, we look at beautiful houses, but we also don't understand the spacing of those houses. Here they, they have space between the houses. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think most of, the, most of the lots are at least an acre. And look, in your career in the hotel business, I mean, you've been a lot of places I know, whether it's Vancouver or Florida or, or uh, right down the road in Santa Monica. What's special about Pasadena for you? Because most people in Los Angeles, let, let's be honest, L.A. is 86 separate incorporated cities in desperate search of a community. Not everybody understands how cool Pasadena is. And that's so true. And, and, and that's really been one of the biggest surprises for me is this Despite how people know about the Rose Parade, how people know about the Rose Bowl game, Pasadena doesn't really resonate with with uh, people that are booking groups or, or coming to L.A. on vacation, which is really a shame because it's such a beautiful city. And to your point, the second oldest city in Los Angeles County next to Los Angeles. It's it's just a hub of science, uh, history, technology, and, and uh, you know, from a tourism perspective and particularly this hotel, we really really are an oasis in in the madness of LA. And you said it, madness. Yes. <laughs> and you said it. But the point is you walk in here and it's great history. It is. Absolutely. Yeah. And Take your time when you walk down the hall, look at the look at the photos, walk in the gardens. I mean, there's stuff to see. Absolutely. You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money, and maybe more importantly, on your life. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.